0: You're listening to the Classic Gamers Guild Podcast. Hi there. Welcome to the Classic Gamers Guild Podcast. I'm your host, Anna. I'm here with your other host, Paul. And we're here with a special guest, the founder of Common Colors and the creator of Prim, a pretty darn cool point-and-click adventure about Death's Daughter that uh, is up in Kickstarter right now, guys, and is already past its initial goal that it beat in less than one day, and it's on its way to getting its biggest stretch goal, which is a bigger and longer game. I am so pleased to introduce to you Jonas Fish. Hi there, how are you doing?
1: Hi Anna, I'm fine, thank you. Thank you for having me, and thank you for all the kind words about my game. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well, it's a it's a great game. I was excited to download the demo as soon as it came out. We uh, we featured Jonas's game in a ladies' night for the Classic Gamers Guild podcast and had a chance to get to learn a little bit about the plot and mess around with it a little bit by playing Mad Libs. So it was it was great fun to be able to finally download it and play it. It's it's a beautiful game. Uh, what ended up helping you to decide that you wanted it to be in black and white?
2: Mm.
1: Basically, the artist that coined the game style, I uh, stumbled across a Mexican comic artist called Oscar Alvarado and I fell in love with his uh, unique style. I mean, he's uh, basically quite obviously inspiration from works of Tim Burton while drawing Um, just look at those big eyes of his characters and he almost exclusively draws in black and white and i've just fell in love with that style and um, since i before that i came up with the idea of making a game about death's daughter which is supposed to be creepy and cute at the same time this style was the perfect fit for the plan i had in mind and so i asked him and he designed the the characters And from then on, we kept going, and we just never thought about adding color. I mean, if you make a game in black and white, it's quite obvious that from time to time there is a person approaching you and asking you why don't you add color Uh, maybe uh, for the land of the living for example when prim enters the land of the living this might be an obvious design choice but um, up until this point i have resisted the temptation to do so and i'm quite happy about it because the look is unique
2: yeah, no, absolutely. It definitely may helps it stand out from the crowd. Uh, I was kind of wondering on a developmental standpoint, is have you faced certain challenges, um, specifically with perhaps like objects, um, things that you want the player to find or pick up or interact with? Has it been uh, a bit of a challenge sometimes to differentiate what the player should interact with because it's black and white?
1: Yeah, we have introduced a quite useful tool the player can use, which is a hotspot display in game. Um, but mm-hmm. watching people play the game in the demo, I've already encountered an issue that these hotspot highlighters are somewhat a little small sometimes. This is something that I'm going to fix in the final game because you're right, due to the aesthetics, the black and white graphics, it's sometimes harder to spot an item. Um, an example would be in the in the demo, the player's objective is to get keys that Tarnatos Prim's father, Death himself, uh, keeps tied to his belt. And the keys are pretty dark and his coat is dark as well. And so they are pretty hard to spot. And this is something that I'm definitely going to improve. Um, but they are also, the black and white aesthetics are also good for a bit of joking around with because uh, at another point in the demo, we, um, we have Prim opening a book on herbology and the player has to decide, okay, what color is the blossom, and the colors that the player is given as a choice are, of course, white, black, and gray, and this is also, this is always a good joke for players.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I noticed an inclusion of a lot of puns right away, it hit yeah. me, that uh, this was the kind of game I would be into. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I really enjoy that too. And you know, I I think the the black and white factor is actually, it's actually quite nice because one thing I don't like uh, with traditional adventure games is sometimes, and and you might recall this, Jonas, where some games, the item in the room that you're supposed to pick up is is very obviously a different hue or or, uh, saturation or brightness to every other color. So you walk into a room and you're like, oh, there's the object I obviously need to get. Um, and that can take a little bit of fun out of it. So I, I think it's kind of neat that I, because everything's, in a, you know, monochrome, black and white sort of sort of aesthetic, you, you know you don't have to walk into a room and see immediately the one thing you're supposed to click on because it looks brighter and different than the rest of the puzzle or the uh, rest of the background.
1: Yeah, I think it's a balancing act that you have to do. Uh, you don't have to be or you must not be unfair to the player. So it, it, it has to be uh all the objects have to be traceable and findable for the players in some way. And you, I I mean, um, I do enjoy a good piece of pixel hunting sometimes, but there is a limit, of course, and I think most players won't be that patient. And I will definitely have in mind that all the objects are uh, visible well, but on the other hand, I agree with you. The black and white uh, graphics give us a chance to maybe... Uh, hide things a little better than it than usual.
0: It's good to find that middle zone. I remember back playing some of the old point-and-click games. I would just get to the point where I would just click every single square into the screen because, of course, there was no hotspot highlighter and, and figure out what was going on. And at that point, are you really playing a game or are you just clicking randomly on a screen? So I, I like the middle point between the two for sure.
2: Definitely. So Jonas, what is your um, what is your background with adventure games? What are some of the games that inspired you growing up to play, and and what got you into making your own games?
1: When I was a kid, my uncle came to our house and. Um, and he brought me a cd-rom including day of the Tentacle, and that was the game that got me started on the genre basically Uh, i fell in love with the quirkiness of the characters with the way of telling a story through these interactive uh, mechanics um, I mean it's a special game I up until this point I have seldomly seen a game where the game mechanics basically these time travel mechanics are so well implemented into the story and work so well um, this is why I um, a few days ago, basically, was the best day in my life when Tim Schaefer gave me a thumbs up on Twitter and said my game had good animations, and he liked it. Oh, uh, yeah. So,
0: congratulations! yeah. And I thought I could
1: die right now. This would be okay. <laughs> um, and uh, basically, after Day of the Tentacle, I'm, I must say I'm rather a, the LucasArts kind of person. I'm not really the Sierra kind of person uh, because I enjoy freedom and exploration and not being afraid of, of dying or running into dance and I have never been a big fan of text parsers to be honest but um, yeah but these games these LucasArts games are the games that coined my childhood and coined me for life actually and I mean in recent years we have seen some kind of I, I might be careful to call it like that but a renaissance of, of adventure gaming uh, because of great great publishers and developers like Watch It I, for example, with excellent mm-hmm. modern pixel art games that are nostalgic and fresh at once. And, yes. um, this was basically the reason for me to uh, a couple of years ago to say to myself, I want to create something like that as well. I'm not. I'm not a. Uh, I haven't studied uh, being a programmer or something like that. I'm actually a teacher. That's my real life job. And a couple mm-hmm. of years ago, in 2016, I uh, decided I want to make a short game, and I did this in um, the context of Adventure Jam, which is an annual event on game Jolt, And uh, it's a a game jam. So everyone who wants to take part is given two weeks to create something small, but it has to be a point and click adventure or something at least similar to it to this. And... um, I didn't know how to draw and I didn't know how to code. So I uh, I came across the Visionaire Studio, which is an, a game engine, especially made for creating adventure games. And this is basically the engine I stuck with until, until now and uh, found a pixel artist to work with. Uh, this is also the reason why my company is called Common Colors because that pixel artist came from Belgium and the Belgium flag has the same colors in it as the German flag. So we came up with Common Colors. Um, yeah. And from then on, I took part in that jam every year. I always had great feedback on the games um, and this feedback motivated me to keep going. And in 2018, after my third jam entry, I decided I want to do something big. And this big thing was prim. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> and and about to get bigger. I think you're what just a couple of thousand off of your biggest stretch goal on the game.
1: Yeah, right. I still cannot believe it to be honest. I'm still overwhelmed <laughs> by by people backing my game. I would have never expected something like that. I mean, I had the feeling this could be good and I I might get funded, but I but this totally surprised me. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it must be so nice because you, you go live on Kickstarter and you're probably telling yourself, okay, it's going to be a long couple of weeks of refreshing the page and just hoping that we get to that point where, where it's fully backed and kickstarted. And for you, I, I imagine it was just a matter of finally succumbing to a night's sleep and waking up the next day and it's done. It's, it's backed. Yeah, it's, 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 amazing. it's totally
1: not the way I expected it to be. I actually expected it exactly in the way you just described. I thought, yeah, like you said, refreshing the page all over again every five minutes. I already made invisible contracts with myself not to do that um, <laughs> and try to avoid too much stress and, and came up with countless strategies. What do I do if people don't see my campaign page? How do I get them on my campaign page? <laughs> um and um, the i mean the the very first backers i mean we got funded in 22 hours and the very first backers were the people that i brought to the campaign page because i had a following and how big that following actually was i didn't realize until i hit the launch button actually i knew that there were a couple of people that were interested in my game and i actually made a lot of friends in recent months promoting the game and it really didn't feel like promoting it it felt like hanging out online and meeting like-minded people that's what it felt like um so i kind of expected these regulars to to be there on day one but as you said waking up and finding out okay we're almost there was incredible
0: you must have uh, had to do some funding yourself beforehand. Even just uh, you have a full orchestral soundtrack in this game. That, that doesn't come free, does it?
1: Yeah, right. But the orchestral soundtrack that you hear is actually very well made in the digital way. Um, in the final game, we will leave that open to maybe mix it up with real instruments. Um, but the, the, de- the sounds you hear on the demo are actually very well done in a digital way by our great musician Brian Atkinson.
0: Oh, he's great! It it is. It's beautiful. It hits you as soon as the intro starts. Yeah. Also the intro, which is just gorgeous, and then the music hits you. It just it feels like it's just really bringing you right into the game right away.
1: Yeah, he's amazing. Um, of course, when we talked about what kind of mood or what kind of style do we want regarding the music, the obvious choice was to let let us be inspired by Danny Elfman, since he's the basically the the regular composer in tim burton movies and he's coming uh, he's always bringing big choirs to the game and always having these big orchestral soundtracks and this was one direction we wanted to go but there's actually there's actually another piece of music in the demo which is the funky song that death dances to later on (laughs) and i'm quite proud because i recorded this one and i play guitar on this one and this is also very cool
2: oh that's amazing you know, I think one thing I, I absolutely love about your game, mate, is is the the first impression. You know, when you fire up that demo, you've you've got just amazing, wondrous visuals. Um, the the black and white is is just absolutely refreshing. There's there's a beautiful contrast. The lines are clean. Um, the lines are also kind of bendy in in a great way, and in a very day of the technical sort of way. Um, again, just very wondrous. And then you get hit with the sound. Uh, the soundtrack, the score, which is gorgeous, and then the voice acting is magnificent.
1: Thank you so much. This is all due to the amazing Maria Pandolino, uh, who does a great job giving Prim the sassiness that she that this character requires, and, and yet she somehow manages to stay very likable and very... Yeah. Um, I mean, some players told me your game is fun because I always want to hear what Prim says about an object when I click it, and right. this is basically the biggest compliment a writer and a voice actress can get when writing an adventure game, I guess.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, yeah, and I, I would second that notion. It, it was, uh, it was addicting because she's, she's just so animated and full of life and, and enthusiasm and, and personality. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. The personality comes through. The first two lines you hear her say, you, you've got a grasp mm-hmm. on on what her, her character is like. So it's, yeah, the first impression of, of your game is, is second to none. It, it really hooks you right away. So I, I suppose combining that with the knowledge of how well the Kickstarter did, I'm, I'm kind of not surprised because the, the first impression is that is that remarkable.
1: Thank you so much Paul. In fact, we already got very amazing player feedback regarding these this life being being life or being a life aspect that you mentioned uh, because the voice acting brings so much life to the character and sometimes her face does not because she Uh, she's kind of frozen in the same facial expression and this is something that we want to change in the final game and that uh, really caught our interest because of player feedback uh, that we want to give her different um, expressions in terms of moods if she's in a good mood then she might smile while talking and, and so on so this player feedback again has been very valuable to make the game even better but all in all thank you so much for All the praise that you let rain down on me right now.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I got to throw in a little bit more. I mean, there's a a few things that I haven't encountered as much in other games. Uh, For one, I like how she kind of narrates her own adventure. Uh, I also really enjoy the way that you have the mouse wheel set up for inventory. Yeah, Yeah. that's a great way to uh, to interact the game. It just it feels so natural, like, I don't need to put a lot of effort into a game, I can put all of my effort into enjoying the atmosphere and and into problem solving, which is where I want it to be. So where did you come up with uh, some of those ideas just just in the stylization of of how the uh, the control function worked with the mouse wheel and the inventory?
1: I mean it's a point-and-click adventure and i think one of the main advantages of the genre uh, apart from many many disadvantages that it has in comparison to other more more uh, popular genres nowadays maybe is that the controls are supposed to be really simple and that's basically a good thing you don't need a lot of tutorials to explain the players what to do you can really uh, start playing with just understanding okay click left interact click right look at and open inventory close inventory that's it uh and i think th- you can of course by design make it even more comfortable for the player and i wanted to make it play entirely with the mouse and the mouse wheels seem to be the obvious choice there are actually some games especially from the german developer Dedelic. De- De- Uh, these are the ones that made the Deponia series, for example, they already introduced the mouse wheel as the device to open the inventory with, so uh, we we are the first to do that, but I think this is one of the most elegant choices. uh, There are some people who play it with uh, the the mouse pad and not with the mouse, and those can uh, press the I key on the keyboard and thereby opening and closing the the inventory, that's also possible. Um, But all in all, I think it's very comfortable to play, but still there is some room for improvement. Uh, it's a tiny detail, but when you move your item that you picked up in your inventory and you move it outside of the inventory, then it it's supposed to be closing automatically, but it does not right now. So, this is another.
0: Yeah, we have to click. Yeah, right. And this
1: is basically one click too much. Uh, so, we can mm-hmm. make it even more comfortable right now after watching hundreds of people playing it, actually.
2: Right.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, great.
2: I really like what I'm hearing from you. Just in fact, as far as when you're describing your game, um, and, and granted, you're here to promote it, you're still taking a time out to mention things that you would like to see done better and Mm -hmm. that's that's incredible i think that's really admirable and i think it speaks to everybody listening that this game is being made by somebody who's very very passionate perhaps a little bit of a perfectionist in a great way um, and they know they're going to get a really quality product because when you bring up things about your game you're not afraid to say well i'd really like to see this done better so I, i think that's really nice for for the listeners and the backers and potential backers and buyers of your game to hear you know the, the lead on the project is, is not going to be content until every little detail is, is ironed out and as smooth and nice as possible. Thank you, Paul. I think it's a blessing and a curse at the same time. Um, <laughs> because I, I, because of my perfection
1: perfectionism, as you called it, and I think you're quite right with that term, um, I, t- I tend to polish things very much, and this is the, probably the reason why that demo already feels quite polished, especially for a demo. Um, on the other hand, it's also, um, f- for me as a person, it's sometimes really hard because until you reach, you reach that level of polish of, of polishing that you intend, it's a long way to go. Um, but, I, of course, as you say, I want backers to know, and, and basically everyone, I want everyone to know that this is something I'm really serious about, making it as good as possible as I can.
0: Mm-hmm. And it looks like you've got quite the great team on your side. I, I'm reading up about uh, Steffi Kick. It looks like she was working with Didactic Entertainment before. Yeah, I love right. their games. Right. Mm-hmm. She's
1: done background art and I think animations as well. So she's also a great um, addition to the team.
0: Mm-hmm. And how, how did you get your crew together? You've got, what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, nine of you at least all together, it looks like, on your base team.
1: Mm-hmm. Right. Um, this highly depends on who we're talking about. Um, some of them, like my background artist Sasha and my composer Brian, I've known for a while now, and they've also worked with me on the game jam games that I've made, or at least on some of them. So these are actually long, long time, um, yeah, long time colleagues when it comes to making games for me, and we're also we're already pretty. Um, we have already figured out how to work together well and how to get the workflow flowing in the best way possible. Um, and f- when it comes to the others, uh, I, I think I just did my homework. Well, I, I conducted a lot of research and I, when it came to the voice actress, I've listened to a lot of demo reels and I've uh, written a couple of emails and I, um, in the end wound up with the perfect team for, for my endeavor, my, actually. So actually we, yeah, so far it worked out brilliantly and I'm really happy with the people I'm, I get to work with. And in the best case, uh, these colleagues become friends and this is also mm-hmm. what makes the process more fun.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean it's it's pretty cool coordinating all over the world with time zones and everything else it, it just it's so much easier than it ever used to be. I mean even look at us today we're here we're in we're in the states we're in Canada, we're in Germany and the three of us can all get together and talk about games and it's just such a great time to be in this genre
1: right. Exactly, and uh, I mean we all get used to digital communication more due to the current worldwide situation, and I think we all we all get even better at it because we have to.
0: Yeah, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm going to go backwards in time here a little bit. So, so you're a teacher, and you've been doing. Are you doing that full time as well as doing the game design full time currently?
1: Yeah, that's right. Uh, I'm working full time as a teacher, and I've been doing that for uh, since since basically the beginning of the game even longer Um, and I really like doing it and I frequently ask if I I, uh, ever intended to quit my job as a teacher and work as a game developer full time and uh, I have to answer quite honestly that I think I'm not going to do that because I like being a teacher and I also really enjoy the fact that I'm not financially dependent on selling games this gives me the freedom for example to use all the money earned with Kickstarter to pay freelancers that I'm working with because what I'm doing uh, in the afternoons, in the evenings, at the weekends in, uh, during the holidays is something that I enjoy doing and regard as uh, yeah uh, it's, of course it's more than a hobby because I founded a company and so on but I thoroughly enjoy doing this and I it's perfectly okay for me if the first cent I'm earning with Prim is the first copy that's sold um, and mm-hmm. i basically don't need the money because I have a job that pays the rent and it takes a lot of pressure from my shoulders to to have that. Um, yeah. yeah, but uh, my job as, uh, I, I mean, as a teacher, you have phases during a term where you have a lot of um, tests to correct and there are also phases where you have more free time and I can use these phases and the holidays um, to coordinate, to do my, uh, my working load to my to do my workload Um, and so far it worked out well Um, but of course because I'm working with professionals and they are quite fast and they do this as their job
2: right
0: right Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so yeah it's their full time now it looks like you are a high school philosophy teacher which to me is pretty amazing we don't have high school philosophy classes around here
1: yeah, we, uh, we, uh, uh, German schools don't always have philosophy as well. It's some it's a subject that uh, students can uh, choose, or they can choose different ones.
0: What a great elective. My dad got his uh, his degree in philosophy at the university, well, and then promptly became a postman. But, you know, it comes in handy anyways.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you never know when you need the knowledge. <laughs> well, Jonas, you know, what you said about um you keeping, keeping your job, I guess you could say, uh, a teaching, uh, I think that's quite lovely because, as you said, it, it takes a lot of pressure off of your shoulders. And, and there is something nice, if not almost romanticized, about the notion that making games for you can remain a want instead of a need. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. That's exactly how I feel about it.
1: It's something I want to do um, and nothing that I have to do to uh, to... Keep my, my, uh, my private life and my family going, going so I have a job that pays rent. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, absolutely and from, I think from a consumer's point of view that's that's one of the best things you could possibly hear. I mean that this, this person's you know pouring their heart and soul into something because they love it and because they want to um, so I, I think any sort of labor of love um, especially in the form of a game is going to result in an experience that's a lot of fun for all of us.
1: Yeah, hopefully. That's the plan. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so have you told your students you're making a game? Do they know?
1: Um, some of them know, probably because uh, there is a local newspaper that wrote an article about me recently. Um, <laughs> and uh, my colleagues started to notice because, uh, based probably because of the same reason. Uh, and I've talked to some colleagues today, but Normally, I don't tell my students about this because I don't want to give too much away about my private life, and I, I try to be as professional as I can. In some interviews, I was I was asked, uh, or, or these people told me, okay, of course you have a lot of backstage. you know a lot of of people, not, you know, you know a lot of students. And i always say i would never dare to ask my students to back my game because i'm simply not allowed to do that i would totally abuse my position as a teacher uh, if i did that so uh, i try to keep the two things quite separate from each other Yet there are sometimes there are students who are interested in me as a person and when they ask me something directly i don't lie to them i just tell them what i'm doing and sometimes they get interested There were a couple of students in the past uh, that I showed my Game Jam games to, for example, because they just got interested. And uh, I'm of course not ashamed of what I'm doing. I think it's pretty cool. And sometimes they think it's cool as well. As cool as a teacher can be, I mean.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good point.
2: <laughs> it might be rather curious, uh, perhaps this time uh, next year or, or or the year after, to, once the game's out and and you know accessible on on Steam and things like that, to to see if any of your students actually play the game and come into school and talk to you about it. That would be cool. I'd love to do that. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be very cool. Um, well, I've got a I've got a premature question for you. Um, just something I'm, I'm just curious about, and, and I'm guessing you've probably spent at least a few moments thinking about it. Again, it's very premature, but have you thought at all about sequels? And if you have, would you be inclined to continue this game's story without spoilers, of course? Uh, would you be inclined to continue this game's story, or, or would you venture into something fresh? When I started thinking
1: about the concept for the game, I mean, I started with uh, actually I've told this story a couple of times already, but I'm going to tell it again. The thing that inspired me that gave me the initial spark of writing about this story was uh, a song that we all know it goes like this. Everybody loves somebody sometimes. We all know it. And I, yeah. I listened to the version sung by Frank Natra. And uh, I came up with the idea, if everybody loves somebody sometimes, what if death loved somebody? The personification of death. Oh. And what if this somebody was his daughter? And this was the idea. <laughs> and uh, from this idea, I... Um, jotted down a couple of storylines that I found interesting and I actually ended up with with three of them and had to to decide because I wanted to keep things as narrow as possible and as focused as possible and so I have at least two more storylines that intrigued me in the first place. So um, there are more stories to tell in Prim's universe, of course. So, this would be one thing that might speak in favor of a sequel. But um, the answer that I have to give is only time will tell, because I don't know where I will be in my life after the game releases and what kind of release we will have, if it's going to be successful. Um, and I, I will only be able to answer this question then also because i don't know how much of project fatigue i'm going to feel then i mean prim is a project that has kept me going for years already but um and i hope it will do so in the future but in two years time Maybe I will feel the strong urge to make my second game if I'm going to make one, about something entirely different because I just maybe I just can't see black and white.
0: <laughs> Interesting. Well, okay, so you have ideas potentially for other ones, maybe when and if in the future. But how about now in Kickstarter, if you get your full funding to make more game, what is more game?
1: Yeah, more game basically um, consists of something that happens in the main act. Uh, the game as it's supposed to be has three acts and the main act, the second act has ob- obstacles, of course, that are in the way of our heroine. And um, I have um, designed puzzles for a number of obstacles, but one puzzle chain was optional so far. So there's basically one whole story in that second act that is that might be played or might not, and it can also be left out because it's not necessary, but it's pretty cool, I think. And this is uh, the more game option that Beckers might be able to unlock. Ah.
0: That's pretty awesome.
2: Yes, very mm-hmm. close.
0: So yeah, okay, so you're looking at pretty much releasing this game internationally, it looks like even, I mean, now you've got most voice going for most of it, too. But you've got English, German, Spanish, French, Italian, Russian, Brazilian, Portuguese. Uh, how do you get texts in all of those languages and, and make sure it's actually accurately represented? You know, because, you know, Google Translate just going to spit out something that doesn't make sense.
1: It's time for some uh, unpaid advertisement right now. I'm working uh, together with a group of people that call themselves the Warlocks, but spelled with just a C, uh, so no, not what you think. Um, and um, these people are incredible. They um, actually, I found them because one of them uh, who translate into German uh, who I don't know, uh, who uh, who I don't need, actually, because I translate into German myself. But their German translator is Michael Stein, and he's the the editor-in-chief of the German adventure game magazine Adventure Treff. And I met him at Gamescom uh, two years ago, and uh, we started talking, and uh, he basically offered me that they could do the localization for the demo. And what I've experienced working with these guys is their... Their their perfectionism, actually, because uh, they took so much time talking to me about uh, what the characters are like, um, how certain lines are meant precisely, how we could transfer one bad pun. And there are a lot of bad puns that go to another language. um, And they took so much care. I mean, the the Russian translator, he even created uh, a Russian font. Uh, because of course we need a new alphabet and he he liked the font we were using but we didn't find a cool russian font that we could use so so he just created one and all this love and care that they put into the project uh, almost matched mine which is nearly impossible and uh, so I'm, (laughs) i'm pretty determined to work with those guys again because they are simply great and and lovely people as well and so far, actually, I've uh, I've got so much cool feedback regarding the translations. There were many Spanish-speaking people, uh, French-speaking people, Italian-speaking people who um, really had nothing but praise for the translation. And I mean, I can tell, to be honest, I don't speak, uh, I, I, I mean, I speak a little bit of French, uh, but that's all I remember from having French at school. Um so I can't really tell if the translations are well done, but what tells me is the players' reaction, and so far they have been phenomenal.
2: Oh, that's lovely. Yeah, that's really nice. It's it is it is a lovely community, the the adventure indie community, very very supportive, like minded people, as you as you mentioned. Um, you know, I'm curious um, from the writing standpoint. You had mentioned a few moments ago. Um, about a puzzle that you were excited for that, that could perhaps be um, in the extended uh, version of the game if you get to that goal which everyone listening please go kick it. He's really close to that final goal. Um, that being said as far as writing is concerned um, I'm just kind of curious your mindsets behind the difference between the story and the puzzles. Um, do, you, do you find yourself more do you, do you enjoy writing the puzzles more than the story or vice versa or did you kind of go into this writing a story and, and had this moment where you're like, oh, God, I got to figure out how to do puzzles. How's that all play out for you as a creator? I think it's important when you write games. I mean, um,
1: in a film, you would say, show, don't tell. In a game, you would say, play, don't tell. Um, so basically, <laughs> you, the player playing is supposed to be the story. This is, I, I think, one of the most important things because it shouldn't feel like interactive fiction too much. It should feel like you are in control of that story and you can only achieve this by having puzzles and story intertwined. Um, right. When I'm designing puzzles, I always design the world first. So I had a basic storyline. I, I knew what my milestones within the stories were. Or the story would be and from then on i started designing the world around this story and the characters and it came up with okay what kind of hobbies have they got what kind of places do they live in and from that point on when having after having designed the world i came up with puzzles that made sense in that world for example take thanatos uh, thanatos he's prim's dad he's death but he's also a big fan of music you clearly sense this when you enter his room um, I mean, there's, a, there's there's an old-fashioned record player, there are countless records on his bookshelf, there is um, a, a golden or a silver record in his case, or a grey record, uh, there's a sight banjo, so there are countless, there's evidence that he's a big fan of music, so it was natural to place a radio in the middle of that room and to make that radio part of the puzzle. Yeah. Um, and I tried to take that route for the rest of the puzzles too. I tried to make the puzzles fit in with the world that they are existing in. And when it comes to experiencing the story, uh, I think games are, especially the adventure games, are story machines. So basically they the player interacting with the game is a device of telling stories. And the cool thing about a, a game like Prim, where you enter a world that is so different from ours, is that it's really cool to let the player experience so many stories. I mean, every character that premieres basically has his or her own story to tell or, or a quest to, to give her. And I, in the end, the game consists of, of countless stories, actually, that are all part of this world. and. So there's this overall story structure that I try to tell, and but, but there are very many other stories. Characters who fall in love with each other, uh, characters who need help or who are arrogant or whatever. So I try to tell a lot of stories, actually, and all this by having the player interact with, with the things that he can interact with.
0: Yeah, I'm guessing uh, that you're going, there's going to be other characters introduced later on, of course, and and you're going to have a chance to take control of some of them as well as the gameplay goes on. I, I really like that idea. Thank you, Anna. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's see. So how did you come up with the idea for the ant being the goddess of violent death? That That's a pretty cool one.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's uh, talentos' sister uh, and this basically derives from Greek mythology. Uh, this is an influence that is not so clearly visible in the demo as it will be in the full game, um, but many of the people or creatures that Prim is going to encounter in the game are loosely based on uh, characters that appear in Greek mythology. Uh, Thanatos, the father, for example, is the god of peaceful death. And I just like the idea of having Prim's aunt, Caris as a contrast to him as the goddess of violent death. So both seem to have completely different motivations when it comes to transporting souls from one world to the other. Um, and of course, this, is, this offers a lot of uh, potential for conflicts and for interesting dialogues between those two. Um, what I can give away is that Karis somehow serves the stereotype of the cool auntie, whereas Thanatos is the dad that can't let go and and Karis' relationship to Prim seems to be better at first because she is much more loose when it comes to uh, raising a kid. right I mean, it's always it's always
2: easier when when you're the aunt and not 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 the mother or the, or the father. That's, that's that's so that's so lovely I just, I just love the whole concept of the story in the game we're working in a, a somewhat typical if not healthy family dynamic uh, when when the family itself is uh, you know the bringers of death yeah right. <laughs> it's a great idea I mean we all have
1: uh, we, all, we all have our, our professional life and our private life and uh, we all sometimes people have cruel <laughs> jobs to do and when they get home they are they they are mom and dad yeah
2: yeah no it's brilliant I love it so for my my last question for you may I honestly I've, I've, I've got quite a bit more but I'll limit it to one and then I'll, I'll just harass you on, on Twitter later but um, but for now um, I, I have probably a foolish if not rhetorical question but but I think it has to be asked and, and that is your feelings about Tim Burton himself, you know, for you, I think most of us are fans, that's safe to say, would you consider yourself a fan of his or is it more on like an obs- kind of obsess- obsessive, you know, fandom sort of side, um, what, you know, how, basically, how do you feel about about Tim Burton and his work and, and how did it inspire this game more than what's, I guess, obvious?
1: Mm-hmm. Um- I would not call myself a fanatic in in any way, actually, Uh, especially not of himself as a person. Um, What I really do adore, on the other hand, is his distinctive art style that he coined and the way that it's working on screen. And this is the feeling that I wanted to create. What I love about his work is that he's able to create really dark gothic fiction with a heart and that's basically the contrast that I wanted to see in a game and I wanted to make that game. I mean, take films like A Nightmare Before Christmas or Corpse sprite These are when you just look at screenshots or you, you have a random uh, scene without any context, it might scare you, especially when you're a child. And the, the interesting thing is that it's still very family friendly. I mean, when I watched Nightmare Before Christmas, I was about six or seven years old, probably Probably too young actually to watch it, and I, I had nightmares uh, for weeks after it. But it fascinated me so much that I had to rewatch it again and again until my nightmares disappeared and became, yeah, obsession might be the wrong word, but I, I um, developed a fascination for that type of visual storytelling. Um, and that, that's basically what I admire. I admire the way of telling emotional stories with uh, really, um, yeah.
2: How, how do I put it? With um, frightening imagery. Mm. Yeah, there is quite a, quite a contrast there. It's, it's yeah. not uh, it's not something you experience with a lot of other uh, creators, as you would with Tim Burton. But that's it's a great way to put it. I think a lot of people have. Uh, A split opinion on like the nightmare before christmas if you saw it before puberty you might have been scared of it and if you saw it after you might find it funny. which is a difficult a difficult place to land it's nice
0: my question i have for you before we wrap it up uh what is the time period this game is set in it's like there's a a bit of the greek mythology there's a little bit of like the gothic age but you know you've got things like record players so is it an imaginary time period yeah
1: uh, Um, um This is, I think, part of what makes that mixture interesting. Uh, When you hear Greek mythology, of course, you think of ancient Greece, but it's obviously not set in ancient Greece. We try to do something really new here, and um, we, we offer the players a peek into... And this becomes very visible when you visit the land of the living, actually, um, which looks a little bit like uh, our 19th century. But it also becomes quite clear that it isn't our world. It's a world very similar to ours, but it is not. So it's like an an alternative history, 19th century Victorian age uh, with elements that aren't supposed to be there. And this is something that I find very interesting.
0: It's it's kind of like taking it into steampunk, but a completely different genre, because steampunk is kind of timeless in that it's then, it's now, it, it's a few different times all at once.
1: Yeah, right. But uh, you're, uh, there are actually a, a few steampunky elements in the game.
0: Yeah, that's true. Sort of like that mix of modern and old fashioned, but uh, with that gimmicky kind of machinery and stuff, right?
1: Yeah, right. When you look very closely, for example, I already revealed a character named Tristan. He's going to be one of the playable characters in the game and he's going to be a human. Uh, and uh, very, um, yeah, or uh, 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 followers who looked very closely noticed that he has some strange technical device tacked to his temple. And we don't know yet what this is about. But this is clearly an element that... Doesn't fit the picture of 19th mm-hmm. century.
0: Oh, I love that. I, I just that and that's what it is. It had me guessing as I'm playing it. When is this? I mean, cause and you kinda know where it is, but it's also it's in a place where you don't usually see games situated. So there's just there's so much to discover as you play through it, even just in the demo that I highly recommend everybody listening. They gotta go out there. It's on Itch, it's on Steam. Uh, get this demo downloaded, it's certainly worth it. Back it on Kickstarter. Uh, Jonas, could you tell me a a little bit about what you want people to know about the campaign?
1: You said so much and already let me try to add something. Um, (laughs) Yeah, folks, uh, Prim is on Kickstarter right now. Um, At the moment of recording this, we still have about 14 days to go. But uh, when you are listening to this podcast, it will probably be next. Uh, So time is running out and we are still hoping to reach our, uh, for now, at least last stretch goal, because I'm going to release some new stretch goals on Friday. Um, We came up with new cool ideas what we can offer if we get even higher. Um, And so we're still hoping to collect more money to make this game even greater, as great as we can for you guys. Uh, So um, if you are into point and click adventure games and into dark aesthetics, but also very emotional stories uh, that are told with a bit of, of humor and good heart, then check it out.
0: Well, you're with the right audience. Uh, our audience, are they're big fans of that kind of humor, puns in particular. If you've got a pun that can make somebody get up, shake their head, and walk out of a room, you've got a winner.
1: I never thought that our Swiss Army size would have so many fans.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on. This was a real pleasure. Uh, I look forward to talking to you again. It would be great if you'd come back on when the game is released and we can talk a little bit more about the final details and, and more about the game. It's It's been a lot of fun.
2: I would love to. Thank you so much for having me. I had a blast. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much, Jonas. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Like I said, I'll harass you on, on Twitter as the time goes on. And, and yes, we would love to have you back when the game comes out so we can talk about it more and... And yeah, just just lavish praise on it because I'm already in love with the demo. So mm-hmm. that is all the bloody time we've got for today. Un- unfortunately, I want to thank Jonas again so much for being with us. Please go back his game. You can find you can find him pretty easily if you just go to www.prim-game.com. Is that a dash or a slash? I guess that's a dash, it's a dash right? Right. It's a dash. Yeah, it's not it's not the guitarist for Guns N' Roses. It's a dash. <laughs> so go to prim-game.com. You can get all your information there. You can follow them on Twitter, but most importantly, please back the game. Back it selfishly, not even for the goals, back it because it's a wonderful game that you'll want to play. So that's about all we've got for today. If you want to check out the Classic Gamers Guild, we are on Facebook, Um, we are on Twitter. Uh, I've done over a hundred episodes and I still have to look at a cheat sheet for all this information. Let's see. <laughs> Instagram at CGG podcast. Uh, do us a tweet over at Twitter uh, at the CG guild. You can send us an email at mail at classic gamers Guild. and a huge thank you to all of our Patreons. We sincerely appreciate you guys for making this happen. To those on our extra special thanks to Jay Holmes and Mark Fillion. Thank you so much for being there for us uh, as well as everybody else. And, um, Yeah, that's all the time we've got. Please back, Prim, and don't do a murder.
1: (laughs) Good advice.